Hello, Now Playing listeners. This is your frequent movie review co-host, Stuart, here to let you know about a contest we have because Facebook is Facebook. They like to make it difficult sometimes for guys like us to stay in your newsfeed. We're offering an incentive for you to go into your Facebook app, change the preferences, and make it so that you can continue to see Now Playing as part of your daily news feeds because they have a winnowing process. That means if we're not your closest friends and family, we may not be seen. And so if you go and make those changes, we are going to offer some prizes. First place, the book, a copy of The Art of Black Panther. Second place, you get the soundtrack. And if you want to know step-by-step how to do that, the instructions are on our webpage, nowplayingpodcast.com slash FB. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Laura. If you're reading this letter, I am no longer with you. There was more to my life than boardrooms and business deals. It also means I have failed and must place an awful burden on your shoulders. So, Lara, I'm asking you to complete my work to find the entrance to the tomb of the dancing light. Time to save the universe again, then, is it? Absolutely. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Tomb Raider Retrospective Series. We are hard back to follow Croft. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Do you know I can't resist a bit of fun? Hosted by Arnie. You're laughing at me. No, no, it's a fact I used to find you charming. I am charming. Justin. I think I'm going mad. And Stuart. Hello, boys. You're all wet. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. It will be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. Listener discretion is advised. Are you truly prepared for what you're about to learn? Some secrets must remain secrets. I am mumbling. These are very heavy burdens. I am prepared, sir. Today we're discussing Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, starring Angelina Jolie. John Voight, Daniel Craig, Ian Glenn, Noah Taylor, Chris Berry, directed by Simon West. This is Arnie, now playing co-host and, well, I can't tell you if I'm a member of the Illuminati, but I can't not tell you either, so you'd figure that out. And Stuart? And this is Justin. Tomb Raider, we're in the century, although Chun-Li technically was. We're in a movie that actually has a budget of... $115 $115 million. They're spending real money on this and not Super Mario gold coin money. We're kind of cheating. Like We were trying to go in order of video game evolution, but the theaters are sort of forcing our hand here because there is a new Tomb Raider movie in a couple weeks. I think this game came out in what, 96? Yeah, 96. Yeah, we're jumping ahead about 10 years further than we should. Yeah, we'll go back and cover the intervening years. Did you guys play Tomb Raider? Loved it. My introduction to this game was I was actually a PA at an editing house where they cut high-end commercials. It was my first industry job. I had just graduated from college. And you would be surprised at how often people in power sit around and do nothing and get paid for it. But these ad execs 
would be sitting around waiting for McDonald's to call them and say, make the arches more yellow. And while they were twiddling their thumbs, I had to go run and get them things like food and clothes. And one day they said, go buy some PlayStations. We want to play Tomb Raider. And it became a real big thing around the office. Everyone really enjoyed playing the hell out of that game. And I loved it so much, I almost went out and bought a PlayStation as well. But I ended up getting it on PC. I was as aware of it as anybody could be. I just never played it. Thinking back to that time, the best I can tell is I think that's when sports games finally made that leap from tech mobile type of arcadey type of fun to actually kind of being more simulation based. So I think in 96, 97, I was spending most of my time playing NHL and NFL games. So I didn't have much time for action adventure games. And Around 1996, I was working at a web company. I was a web developer. I was doing all sorts of things. I started my first websites, and I was really, really into gaming. You talk about people in power who went on to do nothing. My title was technical support manager, and I sat there all the time playing games. I just had to wait for the phone to ring, like just like the ad execs you talked about, and my manager did not care what I did in between the phone ringing. I brought in giant speakers with a subwoofer and I played games all night a lot of time against him because I had a T1 line I mean that was back when everybody was dialing up and I had a T1 line so I was playing all kinds of games I heard a lot about this Tomb Raider and I was really into shooting and action games and Doom Duke Nukem all of that this seemed like it only starring a woman and you had a third person perspective instead of a first person perspective so i bought it i beat the first three tomb raider games i played this one probably not in 96 i think i got it in 97 they were coming out once a year and tomb raider 3 was the first one i bought new release going to best buy i played it it was around this time i went you know something i'm not having fun I don't like these games. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it takes a long time for that to sink in. I mean, how many times did you see Phantom Menace before you realized there were problems? I, <laughs> like one. but No, I think it was like eight. <laughs> no, it was eight where I realized the good things because everything else was killing me. But what happened was I started a review site for games and I was playing all kinds of games, modern, classic. King's Quest was getting reviewed. I was trying to go all the big games in order, but I was still keeping up with the new ones too. And the thing with Tomb Raider was I played it loving the times when I got to shoot dinosaurs or shoot dogs or shoot anything, people. That part of it was fun. But the game was a hell of a lot of jumping, and I'm not a fan of jumping puzzles. And I played the PC version. I laughed at people with PlayStations because I played some of the PlayStation to remind myself here of what it was like. On the PlayStation, you can only save at certain points. You get to them, there's a gem, it's a save point, you save your game. Screw that noise. I couldn't make these stupid jumps. So I had a hotkey. If I hit F11 on my PC, it saved. So I'd make this jump die, load, make this jump, die, load, make the jump, hey, I made it, hit F11, now make the next jump. I was pretty much cheating at that point. <laughs> and then there were just a lot of puzzles, and if there's one game that I really hated, 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 it was Mist. 
That thing was a huge success for PCs and Macs, but to me, puzzles are only fun if there's clues you can figure out. I love Seventh Guest because they give you clues and then you do puzzles. To me, Tomb Raider was a whole lot of, what the hell am I doing? And me looking up online, oh, I have to move this block over to the third square and then jump and hang on a ledge and then... It all made no sense. It seemed very random. So I actually don't like the games. I should add there's something else I really didn't like about Tomb Raider, though. Those graphics. Back in 96, this was a big revolution. 3D gaming. I was used to 2D gaming with sprites. Even when you're playing Doom, you're pretty much playing a 2D game. Everything was a 2D picture. And with 3D gaming, when it came out, I was confused. I was like, do I have to wear glasses? Why would anyone want to do that? They're talking about 3D graphics cards. No, this is the start of 3D gaming where they had polygons there. And so your characters could rotate in free space. And like any technological achievement, the first baby steps are ugly. And I felt Tomb Raider was an ugly game. I'm like, this doesn't look anywhere near as good as Duke Nukem or those because everything's so angular and harsh. And so I felt like that game just didn't live up. Now, by the time you get to Tomb Raider 4 and such, the graphics are great. They just rebooted the universe with a game that's almost photorealistic. But in 96... I was a graphic snob, so there was no way I could be hot for Polygon. Come on, you're, you're missing the basic thing here. Come on, guys. We're talking about the symbiosis between movies and games. It's in the title, right? Raider? What title of the 80s wouldn't want to be Indiana Jones? I mean, they are obviously cribbing from one of the most popular movies from our childhood, and now they have the graphics we can actually play. I mean, when Atari 2600 put out Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was a disaster, but... Finally, 10 years later, they could make a game that was worthy of comparisons to Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones. Yeah, I think one of the big things that we're seeing here is because of this time jump we're experiencing is that this is the first game that we're experiencing that I think might have been storyboarded to some degree and at least workshopped. Somebody sat down and developed the idea of a character and what they're going to be doing. Any movie and game we've done before this, I feel like it was flying by the seat of their pants and kind of making it go as they were going. Yeah, I mean, in Street Fighter, it was very hodgepodge and... Mario didn't really have a story. And yes, this one, the very first one, had cutscenes. I think the definition of when movies influenced games is when cutscenes came into play. That happened even back in the Nintendo, but here you have the full motion ones, and there's scenes where plot developments happen, and then you take control of the character again. The developers claim that they knew they wanted a Tomb Raider, but they didn't think they were going Indiana Jones at first. It wasn't until they were deep into the game that they decided to do it. And Laura Croft was going to be a man. They wanted to do it where you could pick your character. You could play as a guy, play as a girl. Remember, you did that in Resident Evil. It was the thing to do. And they realized, hey, if we do that, we have to make double the cutscenes and do double the voice work. So we're just going to do one. They decided to keep the woman because according to the developer, whenever he saw people playing fighting games, somebody was always playing one of the women People like to see women on screen, especially a woman with the polygons this one has. I, I'm going to make an alternate guess a theory that's, that that programmer maybe had a thing for the woman instead. I mean, I would actually argue this is an anomaly. Usually video games are designed by men 
for men to play other men, male characters. For that audience to play a woman is quite unique at this point. And I think the reason that they did it is because they were crafting, intentionally or not, I think the first video game sex symbol. Admittedly. And I listened to a podcast called Geeks On, though. And when they were talking about the games they'd play, video games, and the avatars they'd choose, a lot of the guys are like, well, I'm a guy. I don't want to be thought of as girly, so I play a guy. And one of the guys is like, yeah, but... I like to look at women on screen, and that's what I'm doing most of the game, is I'm looking at my avatar, so I'm going to make a pretty woman who's easy on the eyes for me to look at. It's not that I'm trying to be a female, it's that it looks better. And yes, Laura Croft had those impossible Barbie dimensions. For whatever reason they landed on choosing a playable woman, it seems to be lightning in a bottle. For all the things we said, some guys may not want to be thought of as a girl or whatever, and maybe they didn't know that they were creating a sex symbol. Sure, they made her sexy and wearing a skimpy outfit, but it paid off. Like I said earlier, I didn't play the game, but I certainly knew about it. Yeah, I, I would put her up there with the icons, maybe not Mario level, but I do think that she's recognizable to people that may not even know all the video games. You know, like they just know her because she reached beyond. She broke that fourth wall. And so, yeah, you got to come up with a movie for a character like that. Not to mention that, yeah, it's got a built-in story framework for aping the most popular franchise of all time. It would be very easy to turn that game into a blockbuster action movie. And Edo's Entertainment was the ones making the games back then. They've since been bought and bought again, as happened with game companies. But they did say that Laura Croft was their Mickey Mouse. If you want to see something different about this Tomb Raider movie than some of the previous ones, they wanted complete veto control over every stage of this movie because... They knew this was their moneymaker. Every year they were putting out a game. Now, they did decrease in quality, and eventually they just killed that golden goose. But at this point, it was still very much their bread and butter, and so you had them looking at every script. They were involved in casting. Absolutely every piece of this, they were there and looking at, how does this reflect our game? Are they doing the moves from our game? Are they doing the iconography from the game? One thing that they insisted on, Angelina Jolie had to wear those short shorts. She didn't want to wear the short shorts. They ended up doing it for just a scene, but she had to wear the short shorts to be in that outfit. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, boy, if there's one revolutionary thing, I mean, if you want to talk about the synthesis of the movie world and the video game world, the idea that they got her, I mean, I don't know where the actress ends and the character begins, but they are symbiotic. I mean, they they take things, I think, from Jolie's personal mythos, that she sleeps with knives, that she has this fight with her father, that she adopts children from Cambodia. All those things are, like, seamlessly sucked into this Laura Croft character. Only half of that was happening back when she became Laura Croft. The kids from Cambodia actually came out of this movie. They filmed in Cambodia, and she's like, oh, look at all the kids. I should collect them. <laughs> I kind of wondered that. <laughs> mm. But the sleeping with knives, according to IMDb trivia, take it with a grain of salt, she had to do regular drug testing because she was doing a lot of her own stunts. She was with Billy Bob, the yes. rumors of the drug use and everything else. The playing with knives, they did play with knives as part of sex play. And 
the director during the commentary said, I've never seen a woman handle a knife like Angelina. And I'm like, I wonder why. If you're putting that near private things, you want to be sure you're skilled. But they had to test her mental well-being during filming. To me, when this was announced, it was perfect. I knew Angelina Jolie back then because I saw Hackers and I immediately fell in love. I'm not going to beat around the bush I had a major crush on Angelina before most of the world knew who Angelina was. Yeah, I think Foxfire was when you started babbling about her. <laughs> but I'd seen Hackers first, but then Foxfire I watched because she was in it, and it turned out uh, acquaintance of mine from college is the co-star. Yes. <laughs> so I was double into that, and I honestly thought Angelina Jolie was not going to become extraordinarily famous <laughs> shows what i know so i thought that i had a chance <laughs> <laughs> but then she won an oscar she got it for girl interrupted in 99 she'd already done some other movies i had seen i i saw everything with her in it i saw gia i saw gia oh yeah, oh, yeah. Saw gia. <laughs> i bought the blu-ray <laughs> She's a lesbian? <laughs> Done. She's naked 95% of the time? I'm there. I mean, Girl Interrupted was not my genre, but I was there. The Bone Collector, of course I was there. Pushing Tin. Hey, John Cusack and Angelina Jolie. Gone in 60 seconds. So when Tomb Raider came around, it's like she is perfect for it. She's stacked. She's able to do action as Gone with 60 seconds. But... She was not the studio's first choice. The list of people they were going to is sometimes head-scratching, and sometimes you think, well, it was the year 2000. I can't imagine anyone else up for this. I honestly can say, I think it'll be a real problem for Alicia Vikander when we talk about her reincarnating. Only one person can play this role, but give it to me. What did the studio think was going to work? They'd offered it to four actresses before Jolie. Yeah. Denise Richards... Huh? Yeah. Really? She's pretty, but my God, after that Bond movie. Yeah, that's... Mm -mm. Charlie's Theron. Okay. We know she could do it now. Yeah, Eon Flux came shortly thereafter. I guess that was the booby prize. <laughs> Uma Thurman. Of course, you offer everything to Uma at this point. Yeah, and she ended up doing her version with Kill Bill. Liv Tyler. Well, she's skinny. Interesting. And she did do Lord of the Rings not long after this. Armageddon. I guess you could see that she was in the action genre, but uh, no. Let me just rattle off names, because it's basically everyone. Sandra Bullock, Ashley Judd, Christina Applegate, Gwyneth Paltrow, Anna Nicole Smith. I guess they were only <laughs> going for bra size with that one. <laughs> Nicole Egger, Mia Jovovich, Kirsten Dunst, Feruza Balk. I mean, they <laughs> cast a wide net. Nicole Egger and Feruza Balk. Can you even imagine them in the same room? Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> and you mentioned Eon Flux. It feels like in the early 21st century and the end of the 20th century, women action movies that were also a little bit cheesecakey were in. I got thinking about that. Eon Flux, Resident Evil with Mia. We had Charlie's Angels around this time. Catwoman. Catwoman Underworld. I wondered if Buffy the Vampire Slayer might have been the start of some of this because that started in the mid-90s, brought a real powerful superhero female to the small screen. I also was definitely thinking Alias a couple years later, so they were trying to translate that to the big screen. I think that, as much as anything, is why Tomb Raider got the green light. It wasn't a Mario-selling game. It was a hit, 
it was known, but I think the fact that it was in the zeitgeist right then, as it is right now, to put females in action films really got this one revved. Jolie winning the Oscar probably put her to the front of the casting agents. She would have been a name and recognizable before, but in 2000, when she won, it was like, well, yeah, gotta be her. But then she went to the Oscars with her brother, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And again, if they're considering Lara Croft their Mickey Mouse, they have to be a little bit concerned about the actress's private life and how it will reflect. I think it reflects brilliantly on the character. I think they are one in the same. I think Angelina Jolie was Lara Croft when she was walking down the red carpet. And yeah, it just makes sense that she would wind up with the role. Stuart, you've been wondering when we're going to cross a line where a game influences a movie and vice versa. And I think up until now, we haven't seen much of that even going back and forth. But I get the feeling that this is going to be the first time where we see a little bit of synergy going both ways with the game series and a movie series. Yeah, I've said it before. Games have ripped off movies since the 80s. They look at what movies they're, hey, Knight Rider's a hit TV show. Let's make Knight Driver the Atari game, you know? So they'd always ripped off. This is, as you say, very Indiana Jones. And now that we've gone full circle, we have a game ripping off a movie. Now we have a movie based on that game. So we're in Romancing the Stone territory. (laughs) I don't really know, but... I also think video games really started to influence movies in the 90s with CGI, and we're coming two years after The Matrix. Not just digital effects, but that entire bullet time video game feel of action. The Matrix was a big game. Yeah, well, and don't forget, Wing Commander pioneered that. We'll get there, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Why you giggle at my pain. Here's the thing. I, you know, I get it. You're right that we can now see a remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark through the lens of a coin op is cool, but why Simon West? He certainly isn't Spielberg or even George Lucas. He is the director of the most popular music video of all time. He directed Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. If you've ever been Rickrolled, you know his work. <laughs> I think he makes sense because of the films he did around that time and Con Air. We need to review it someday, but that is just glorious, unabashed, guilty pleasure of mine. And I would see Con Air and say that guy can do some action. I did see The General's Daughter in theaters. That is not an action film, but Con Air is all the cred you need. Honestly, for the longest time, I thought Con Air was directed by Michael Bay. It has that many explosions and that many gratuitous building demolitions that I didn't realize it was only produced by, not directed by. So coming off of that makes sense. And he's affordable. Here's what I would argue. More than however you feel about Conair, I've never seen it. I never really wanted to. He was an ad guy. He is a large experience and making things look really good. And if this video game company really wants to protect its property, he is going to treat Lara Croft like the Budweiser frogs, which he also made. So that's, I think, why you get a guy like Simon West. I'm just a little disturbed. He's not credited, but I was doing some reading. The early drafts of this were written by Brent V. Friedman, who was a credited writer on Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Again, 
It's much like when I see that the guy who made Doom was given another video game movie. The guy who wrote Mortal Kombat Annihilation was allowed to make another video game movie? <laughs> oh, come on. This was written by committee. There are, what, five people credited with the story and probably eight more that didn't get credit that have some lines of dialogue in here. When you see a movie like this, you can tell that it had lots of different ideas and it's probably eight different people's idea of what Lara Croft should be doing. Sure, you can even see the tonal shift from scene to scene, almost like it was each scene was written independently and then put together later. Yeah. But if we haven't discussed Simon West, the thing that really shocked me is we've never covered a film with Angelina Jolie in it. It feels like she's the female superstar of the 21st century. And then I looked at her filmography. She doesn't actually work all that much. And she's a lot younger than I thought. I really thought maybe she went away with all those kids because she was reaching that age that actresses didn't normally work after. But she was only like 40 when she did Maleficent. Yeah, I have a rule. I don't see her shit. It's kind of like <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. It's like, yeah, Whoopi had color purple, but then everything else was so bad, you just don't go near it. And Jolie... Maybe Girl Interrupted is good. I've never seen it. I never really wanted to. I thought it was overrated. Uh, yeah, it seems to me like she just kind of got lucky. Like she was a Hollywood kid that through nepotism and just nobody else being up for it that year, she kind of slipped in for an Oscar that maybe she didn't deserve and wrote it on her rep. You know, she was more known for being the house wrecker of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. I, I see her as a tabloid star. But if you look at her movies... I'm going to put it forward. Has she ever made a really good movie? I couldn't think of one. Hackers, but again, guilty pleasure. Stop. <laughs> not a really good movie. I agree with you. When I looked at it, the Brad Pitt thing didn't start till 05, many years after this, when they made Mr. and Mrs. Smith together. But this is really like the pinnacle of her career. She's a name after this, but the movie she did after this, I'm like... Oh, Original Sin and Alexander and Mr. and Mrs. Smith itself was kind of mixed reaction. Beowulf, Salt. I mean, none of them were huge successes. For me personally, Wanted would be about the only thing to highlight on that list of mediocrity on her resume. I love Wanted, but I feel she's very much in a supporting role. She's almost halfway above a cameo. Sure. I've seen things that I thought were fine that she was in. But again, a movie where she seized it and made it her own. And I tend to see the more of the drama work that she did. And that just, it isn't that impressive. I know that she's really moved into a role of UN ambassador and tried to really work as a director now, telling dramatic stories of human courage. I just, there's something about her that feels false. Like, I feel like everything she's doing is just trying to get back at her Republican father by putting out these ultra-liberal movies that does anyone really want to see? I saw Beyond Borders because a friend of mine was in it, but I wouldn't have otherwise. <laughs> I love the theory that her whole career is just a big F you to John Voight. I feel like it might be. <laughs> like everything, the drinking the blood, having sex with her brother, all of it, it just feels so staged. Well, that, that escalated quickly, didn't it? I thought they just made out. <laughs> 
I'll agree that there's something about her. She's a Hollywood child. I mean, yes. she was a pre-Kardashian yes. tabloid star, famous for being famous. Yes. But she actually did stuff unlike the Kardashians and Paris Hilton yeah. and things. And I want to give her credit. Anyone that tries to be a humanitarian, she's done some good. Undoubtedly, she has done good in this world, in her personal striving, maybe in her art that maybe I don't care for, but was trying to make points about you know, international relations. Again, I just sense something about it that feels false, kind of in a similar way that I feel about Bono. Like, in the end, it's just kind of self-promotion. There's something about her. I get that she is a beautiful, exotic woman, but I just don't see that she's a compelling character. And I just kind of avoid her work. So I didn't see Tomb Raider. As much as I love those games... I had no desire in 2001 to sit down and watch her go through those motions. As much as I didn't like the Tomb Raider games in 2001, I was there opening weekend with Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first time sitting down with the two because I'm, I'm going to be on the same bench as Stuart here where, you know, I don't have strong feelings about Angelina Jolie one way or the other. I can take her, leave her. I don't see her name pop up in a project and think, oh, Damn it, it's going to be ruined. And I also don't see her name and be like, oh, awesome, I'm going to see that. So I'm ready to sit down and see what she can give me as Lara Croft. The only thing that I would say where I felt she gave a great acting performance mm. would be Gia. Didn't see it. And that was made for HBO anyway. Right. So Tomb Raider, again, I come to this fresh and I come to it hopeful. I know it can be better than any video game movie we've covered so far. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we'll find out what's in the tomb. Angelina Jolie plays Lara Croft, a wealthy English woman who spends her time adventure-seeking and hunting rare antiquities, a hobby she learned from her father, Lord Richard Croft, played by John Voight. But Richard disappeared in 1985, presumably dead. Richard spent his life seeking a rare artifact called the Key. Once every 5,000 years, the planets are in perfect alignment. And with the key, someone can go to two temples, one in Cambodia, <laughs> the other in Siberia. They better be a fast runner. That's all I got to say. <laughs> and get two halves of an artifact called the Triangle. I'm so glad 3000 BC, they had such great namings as the key, the triangle. Hey, here we are again with an ancient artifact broken in half that we have to find both parts. Where did I hear this before? I was thinking double dragon. The triangle was forged from a meteor that fell to Earth during the previous alignment around 3000 BC. If the two triangle pieces are joined during the alignment, then whoever wields it will control all of time and space. <laughs> wow. I mean, what does that even look like? <laughs> you see in this movie. <laughs> it's like a Rush album cover or something. I, just, I can't imagine what, what kind of fantastical realm that would look like. Richard was working for a secret group of old white dudes called the Illuminati. But when he defied them, they had him killed. Still, the Illuminati continues to seek the key and the triangle, and to do so, they've employed Manfred Powell, played by Ian Glenn. But Powell isn't much of an artifact seeker, so I don't know why they hired him, because he has to outsource it to mercenary treasure hunter Alex West, played by Daniel Craig. <laughs> and West and Croft have a history together. But Laura has the key, literally. In a secret compartment in her mansion, her father hid a clock that would start ticking right as the planets align. The clock and clues from her father lead Lara to Cambodia, where she battles Powell but gets half the triangle. 
but then the two meet and form an uneasy partnership to get the other half in Siberia. Lara gets the other half of the triangle, but when Powell puts them together, they don't do anything. So Powell shoots West, saying if Lara completes the triangle, Powell will go back in time and save West. Laura does complete the triangle, but uses it herself to talk to her dad and try to bring him back to life, but he says they shouldn't play with time. So she returns to the present, saves West's life by altering time, destroys the triangle, and kills Powell in hand-to-hand combat. And then she goes back to her mansion to fight her Ed 209 robot as credits roll. Wow. I mean, I gotta say, the triangle and the key don't really hold up next to the Stones of Shankara as far as memorable names. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of ways to play it. I don't think that this story we're here to talk about is based on any video game. Like, it just sort of takes the influence of, well, you're going to be going to lots of exotic locations and diving and spelunking and, yeah, setting off booby traps. Yeah, it's basically... This could be the plot of one of the games. They just took it to a movie, which is not a bad way to go. No. It frees you from the continuity. It gives you the feel. And people who played the games won't be like, I know that story and you've abridged it. So far, I've been so angry at how little, when I play the games, it resembles anything to these movies that bear the title of these games. So one thing I'm going to compliment, and they they do a demo right from the get-go. They have this ridiculous scene that has no point in the movie other than to tell you, yes, we have played the game, she looks like the character, she moves like the character, and we're going to get this right, at least in terms of the video game. And so we have this battle with Simon. I assume named after the director? Oh, yeah. I didn't even catch that. But why not? I mean, it could be an anagram for something. The director said that it will spell something out. But you have to watch the movie closely to see what it is. But Alex West is named after the director's father. So (laughs) So my first question going into this is, in the games, is Lara Croft British? Yep. Okay. She has that accent. Okay. She has those moves. The swagger. When we see her dangling upside down on a rope and the way that she's cautiously approaching the idol, it looks exactly like gameplay. And I thought for sure that this was a complete Indiana Jones ripoff. I fell for it. I mean, I saw this in 2001 and then I bought it on video and saw it in 2002, 2003, but I hadn't seen it in 15 years. I fell for it. I thought this was the idol and that she was going to get it. And in the game, you fight fantastical creatures. It's not even something that they added later. In the very first one, you find yourself fighting dinosaurs and demons and wraiths. So giant robots are not outside of the realm of where Laura Croft lives. So to see her starting here, I felt like it was very much in the game. I wanted to know exactly what ancient technology had this, or were we going to meet her Belloc outside and this was his Simon? (laughs) But they completely fooled me that this was her training grounds in her house and that it was just practice. Yeah, and watching this for the first time, I'm buying it. I'm like, okay, great. So maybe somebody has a guard robot to keep people out of these ancient ruins to keep them pristine i don't but i mean in the meantime it's destroying everything so i'm not quite sure why they'd be guarding this 
But watching this, I'm enjoying the action. It feels like it could be straight from the game. But yeah, my eye keeps going to all these things that are breaking and all these ancient ruins that are crumbling underneath her feet and just kind of cringing at the loss of history. I didn't know Laura Croft was this rich. I get that you'd want to practice. If you're a Tomb Raider, you're doing this all the time, you would want to have drills. But to be able to have this cybernetic foe that she kills four times, like I feel for Bryce when she's dragging (laughs) the machine to him at the end and he's complaining, you've ruined it. I'm like, yeah, how can you afford to do that to have a room in your house look like some temple tear it up each week and you know each week your tech guy who is one of only two servants in this giant mansion keep repairing and building you new robot enemies yeah it is a level of wealth beyond Richard Branson, I believe, to be this capricious. Obviously, she's never had to work a day in her life or she'd know the value of a dollar, dang it. So it is astounding, but yet... Again, I go back to that point in time, avarice was smiled upon. You wanted this level of riches. The tech stocks were going up, 401ks were doing well, everybody was getting richer, Y2K. So to see somebody this opulent was actually somebody you could admire. It doesn't go this heavy in the games, but she is extraordinarily rich in the games. I mean, I replayed the first one. She has crates and crates of antiquities just sitting in her house that they need to move to storage. She's basically a Tony Stark. Sure, yeah. I kind of took it as shorthand for a Bruce Wayne type of thing. You know, you don't question too much, you know, how Bruce Wayne is a billionaire. They In some movies, they give it to you. Some comic books, they explain it. But at the end of the day, who cares? The idea is that he's rich enough to fund his adventures and technology. But unlike Bruce Wayne, she's not going to play along and be a lady. You know, she has this butler that brings her a modest white dress and we get a gratuitous shower scene because why not? Jolie is the hottest thing in movies and we want to ogle her and so they get it out of the way early. But she is not going to pretend to be anything other. I think it's mentioned at one point she masquerades as a photojournalist, but we see no evidence of that. She is exactly who she claims to be in all scenes. Yeah, and Angelina Jolie was never one to shy away from nudity. There was discussion of top frontal, but they really had to get that PG-13. But man, do they skirt it. That's a lot of side boob, I'm telling you. Yeah, as much side boob as you can legally get. Would you believe there were actually fans of the game complaining that she was not endowed enough to play Laura Croft? Wow. (laughs) Apparently, she's only a C cup, and Laura Croft is supposed to be a double D cup. And she's like, you know, I wanted her to be curvy. They've padded me up to a D in this. I think that's good. I definitely feel like fans of the game should be happy that this is the reflection of the character in live action. As far as this plot, well, I don't know that Nine Planets ever really aligned, but I'm just going to put it out there. I am not looking for logic and for a sensible storyline. I understand it's going to be a series of hook'em, and all I really ask of this movie is that they make it fun. I know that when we get into this crazy backstory about 5,000 years ago, a triangle that magically controlled time is beyond absurd. It's slap you in the face stupid, but that's fine. I think stupid can be fun as long as everyone's game. And I did look this up. I had to know about the planetary alignment. It seemed a little convenient that it was happening right at the time of this movie. It does happen. 
All nine planets do align. The next time it happens will be in 2854. And the last time it happened was 561 BC. So it's about every 3,000 years. Now, they're somewhat aligned every 500. But if you want the perfect alignment, it's like 3,300 years. Not 5,000. I think they were fudging their math here. They didn't Google it before they wrote the script. I'm surprised that there's any basis. And again, it isn't important to me. I mean, it can make it more fun. I do think when you play with historical fact and then weave in fiction, that can be a little more delicious, like the way that the X-Men prequel movies have done. I think that's fun. This just feels like a whole bunch of, more than even Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant, they've really gone into an absurd storyline that at a certain point is even difficult to follow. But I don't care. I just want it to be fun. Yeah, I'm with you there, Stuart. If this is the conceit, is that we're waiting for a once in a 5,000 year event to happen and the Illuminati is involved. I know right off the bat, okay, we're throwing a lot of things out the window. I'm going to go with you for this ride. I think the first visual indication of this is when I actually try to show the planets aligning through the telescope. You can see... You know, we're we're sitting somewhere near Saturn and you can see the planets all down the line there, which, yeah, that's not going to happen. You're not going to see them all and without being in space. You'd still just see specks off in the distance. And this lasts a week, by the way. Yeah, it, it's, it takes a while <laughs> to, to do this lineup. But yeah, I'm with you, Stuart. I'm going to take this movie at its word. And if they're going to do this, they're going to just give us set pieces to get from one area to another, then... All I need from them is to make sure the exposition and the talky scenes are to the point and tight. And I think this is where I'm starting to get a little nervous because a lot of these scenes, they have to know that their audience's attention span isn't going to be that long. And the information they're giving us is quite dense as far as what they're planning to do. So I feel like they need to tighten it up if these first couple sit down and talk scenes are any indication of how we're going to move forward. And I... I'm happy that this movie's just a little bit over 90 minutes. They don't draw it out. Most of the Indiana Jones films are two hours. So they keep it brief. They don't let it go. And if I look back at Con Air, yeah, Simon West is not a master of storytelling. Maybe the general's daughter did a better job of it. At least I was able to follow that one. This one does seem to have an overly convoluted plot, though, where they have to globetrot and... There's allegiances that I don't quite understand. I didn't know why both Powell and West were in this film. They should have just had one. I didn't even know what the Illuminati was when I saw this, though. I hadn't heard of that old, ancient secret society. What? Sure. No, I got to give them a little credit here because, yeah, nowadays everything's Illuminati talk. But, you know, 18 years ago, it wasn't on the tip of everybody's tongue. I think... A lot of Illuminati talk started after 9-11 and conspiracy theories started popping up. Oh, how funny. I've always liked secret society plot. You know, I just think conspiracy is at the heart of being an American, quite frankly. And I just, I've always been fascinated by conspiracy theories and why people choose to believe certain things that seem so outlandish. So I've been familiar with the Illuminati. I might or might not be a member. I'm not going to out <laughs> myself. But I, I think it's a fun conceit that we go to Venice and we find out that they just kind of sit around in a giant hall in carved chairs with big eyes on them and wait for this one dude, Manfred Powell, to find the key. 
Like that's their whole plan. You're, the Illuminati controls everything supposedly, but they've outsourced this important once in every 5,000 years plot to a guy that probably can't handle the responsibility. <laughs> he is like the Peter principle of being promoted to the point of incompetence. He's a member of the Illuminati, we're going to find out. So he is then hiring non-Illuminati to help him, but he's part of the club, but he's not part of the ruling class. And he basically is middle management in this movie. He's supposed to be our quote-unquote bad guy. I tried to do the Raiders of the Lost Ark analogs. Mm -hmm. And you have your Belloc, who is your scientist who's helping the bad guy. I kind of think that that's West in this movie. Daniel Craig, yeah. But then you also have your scary German, who had the evil coat hanger and the smile. And I think that's supposed to be Powell in this movie, but he is not a good evil scientist. No, he's not a good actor. He's not. He wasn't good in the other video game series we've already covered, too. It's worth pointing out, he was the main villain in Resident Evil. Remember the doctor that would pop up every yeah, now and then? Dr. Isaacs, for sure. Yeah. He's not a bad actor, though. I will say, for Game of Thrones fans, he does well there. He's Jorah. Oh, see, I've totally avoided Game of Thrones. So what happens is these Game of Thrones people get thrust into projects that aren't very good, and I never understand their appeal, but that's because I'm not watching them in the show where they're well-featured, but he's not well-featured here is what I'll say. And if this is our villain, and that's the way I have to take it, is that he is our, for lack of a better word, she's fighting the entire Illuminati to get to the key, to the triangle, to the whatever, but Manfred is the face of the Illuminati. He's just not imposing. No, and the rest of the Illuminati doesn't really come into it very much. Are they going to be the constant villain who's coming after her movie after movie. Was that their intent? I don't know. But Laura Croft has absolutely no part of this. And in fact, I almost state that this entire world would be better without Laura Croft in it. Powell is really incompetent. He accomplishes nothing. He has with him Alex West, it's hysterical to me. We have Angelia Jolie putting on a very good British accent, and then we have Daniel Craig putting on a really <laughs> bad American accent. That's why I asked if she was British in the games, or has it been a really weird choice to make that juxtaposition for no reason? <laughs> but he isn't as good as she is. He isn't going to do it either. Now, imagine this. Laura Croft doesn't hear a clock in the middle of the night like the princess and the pea <laughs> yeah. halfway across her mansion something starts ticking and she immediately knows it's time to renovate by breaking down a wall and finding a clock okay she doesn't do that the key is never found nothing ever happens she doesn't lead anyone anywhere. The Illuminati fail, and they have to wait 5,000 more years. <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely feel like she will be tasked with destroying the triangle by getting it out of obscurity. You're better off leaving it in obscurity, where it becomes more dangerous once she opens doors that allow them to get closer to this object of power. But the reason why she even knows about it, it's time to bring up the postmodern connection she has. Her father... John Voight, I think at this point, they are not on speaking terms. They politically have been on very opposite ends of most issues when they go public about their politics. And he had been kind of out of the scene. It, it said that he disappeared in 1985. And I agree. I hadn't seen this actor since Runaway Train in 1985. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he'd done Mission Impossible in the 90s. Oh, sort of, yeah. Okay. That's really where he came back. He started doing projects around that time again. And they had their period of being on the outs, and then they were reconciled, and they really wanted to do a project together. They did want to do this together. Yes, because she doesn't have any scenes with him until the very end. It's flashbacks of little girl Lara Croft, and he's explaining planetary models. Is he a member of the Illuminati? Yes. He is. Yes. And he chose not to tell her. Yes. But he actually doesn't want the Illuminati to get the object. Right. So he's going to set up an elaborate trap so that she can thwart the Illuminati. Well, that's the question. Now that Arnie <laughs> brings up without Laura Croft in the story, it really draws to mind what the hell was her dad trying to accomplish here? Because if he's trying to protect her, he would have buried that key away somewhere far, far away or just given it to the Illuminati straight away before he disappeared and left her out of it. But since he put it in the house and never told her about the whole Illuminati thing, he's kind of being an a-hole. Yeah. And, and here's <laughs> the thing. I had guessed wrong on this. I thought for sure we'd find out he was alive. I thought for sure that she would go splunking and at some point, much like Indy found Sean Connery, that we would have a pairing where father and daughter would team up. Oh, that was what I fully expected. In fact, that was a false memory I had because this whole movie, yeah, it opens like Raiders, but it rips off Holy Grail tremendously and that the father had an obsession. We see him with young Laura Croft and talking about it the same way we saw young Indy and his father studying the Grail. There's books left and all these notes left. And they don't say he died. They say he's missing. And I thought that was a big thing yes. to say. With that. an exact date. <laughs> That's what's very strange about that. Crazy. I get <laughs> that if he was dead, you have a tombstone in your backyard to commemorate that. But he went missing on a very particular May 15th <laughs> in 1985. That's exactly when they couldn't find him anymore. Uh, okay. And you create a plaque for that even though you don't have a body. I, I don't understand that at all and i have to believe again five people story credited two more on screenplay there were different versions of this there was a very different ending we'll discuss and i don't know when the ending got changed but west talked about it in the commentary there's a lot of things in this movie that even after i watched it i'm left scratching my head about and in the original ending it would have made sense okay i can believe that it feels like different ideas as we progress into this plot. But all we need to really understand is Lord Richard, John Voight, is going to be a guiding force from beyond the grave. He gives her access to the timepiece. He kind of told her in a flashback that it was coming, like she remembers in a dream about the crate. Yeah, and then he Doc Browns her a letter from the past to be delivered <laughs> on a certain date. And he doesn't deliver the letter until the planets have aligned. He doesn't deliver it like a week earlier and say, mm. hey, I hit this clock here. Why did you go get it? He waits until he's like, you will have found the clock because you can hear that ticking all over the mansion. <laughs> and then he comes with the letter the next day. And he's done it too late. She has been like, hey, I found this ticking device and taken it to an auction house and already set a, a chain in motion that Powell knows she has the key. That's what the clock really is. And so he sends in the SWAT team. And that is a really fun action scene. She's practicing slash relaxing, doing some home bungee stuff. And I really want to credit this film. We have just put it out there. 
Black Panther aside, we have been wallowing in shit films. This video game retrospective series was looking really, really bad. So I'm very tempted to applaud competence. Because here, we have a film with a budget that's well lit. Everything is up to par technologically. The actors are names that we know from the current time, not remember when. <laughs> so the story feels about as convoluted as Mario. But... The acting, the filming during these dialogue scenes is so much better. But when you get to the action scenes, it's not just better than what we've seen. This is a superlative action scene with her running along the walls. And I just love the fact that Jolie went Tom Cruise on this. She did so many of the stunts herself, and that was not in her repertoire. She was not a physical person. She had to undergo a lot of training. None of her previous roles had her, other than Gone in 60 Seconds, where she was behind a wheel. She wasn't really a pistol packing mama till now. This scene, with all of those guys trashing her house, is just a ton of fun. And for me, with action scenes, you've got to walk a line between being believable and fantastic, which this scene is doing it for me, but they get real close to kind of crossing over into that almost superpower type of area, and they don't quite go over it. They get close, but for the most part, I'm going with them. You know, they bend the laws of physics a few times with how long those bungee cords are and how she can go from side to side and not be restrained or whatnot, but kudos to them. Last week, I was complaining that I needed something a little bit innovative to get my juices flowing with some action, and hey... Bungee fighting. Let's get into it. I wish I could like it more. I should be happy that we have reached a new plateau. Yes, we have been watching some embarrassing, incompetent, moldy, disgusting, gross, terrible films that have ruined the idea of gameplay. And here we have, yeah, some good ideas is the way that I feel like. I really like the idea that she is doing a trapeze routine when the SWAT team busts in and she has to fight them on this cord. It just ends up feeling like wannabe Matrix. I just feel like this is wannabe Trinity and he's just not as talented as the Wachowskis. We've already seen it, so there's a lack of freshness to it. But by comparison... I definitely feel like, yes, this is so much better than any action scene we had in any Street Fighter, any Double Dragon, Mario and his super boots. This one takes the cake. And I'll say that Angelina Jolie is greater than Carrie Ann Moss for me. Maybe Simon West isn't a Wachowski, but she, in her close-ups and the scenes where she's hiding there, she gives good faith. She shows that she's game. She's serious about it, but she's also smart. I love it when they're in the garage and she's working with the tech guy. Which car is the guy by so I can use this pneumatic drill and shoot screwdrivers at them? Just her performance in action scenes, she gives a good performance throughout. She's given a lot of bullshit to say, and she says it well. Her English accent is really flawless to the point that I got shocked in bonus features to hear her regular voice again. And she acts well in action scenes. She doesn't seem too stoic. She doesn't seem too afraid. And could you just imagine being one of these paramilitary troops? They're like, guys, we're going to go in through the skylight. We're going to have total advantage. They're never going to see us coming. You jump through and you're like, shit, she's in the sky? What the <laughs> hell? She's above us? Uh, they should still be able to hit a moving target to some degree, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are like bowling pins, just standing around waiting to be kicked while she's swinging around. But, you know, maybe part of the problem is I don't remember that she had 
any assistance or helpers. There was no way a second player could join you in Tomb Raider. That she's got these two manservants, Bryce and Hillary. They're not doing much for me. She had a butler. And they actually did a reference here because when you were training around the house, you could shoot at the butler and the butler would block it with his serving tray. And here they have the serving tray come up at one point. It's like the makers of this film don't realize that Indiana Jones is a ripoff of James Bond. Spielberg specifically said, I want to make a James Bond movie. And Lucas said, I've got a James Bond better than Bond. And they made Indiana Jones together. But when talking, they're like, well, we took Indiana Jones, but we wanted him to be more James Bond. I'm like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> That's so, funny. <laughs> I think that what they did is there's basically a cue here that they wanted to add. Yeah, I mean, they hit you over the head with it. I don't know if you guys caught it, because it's pretty subtle in this movie, but Bryce <laughs> is into technology, you know? <laughs> so much he sleeps with the little robots from Runaway, that Tom Selleck movie. <laughs> and I had to love the product placement, though, when those paramilitary come, they shoot his cherry Pepsi. <laughs> Old school can. But this is important. I mean, I do think when you think of Raiders, it's about that chemistry. God knows, Kate Capshaw aside... It was all about the way that he played off the romantic foils and the villains. And there's just nothing for Jolie to play off of. There's no other actor in this, including Daniel Craig, that can compete with what she's doing. And so I do feel like the problem in jumping from the video game where you're on your own diving into these dangerous scenarios and a movie where you need other characters to play off of is that we just can't create those dynamics. Stuart, I feel you, but this almost is starting to feel like a little bit of what a lot of people complain about with the current Marvel Universe, where you have these weak villains that don't really add up to much and they're not really that compelling. But the thing that's missing from this movie that the people who make the Marvel movies knows is that your lead has to be so charismatic to carry that entire movie. Jolie's doing fine here, but she just doesn't have that extra gear that a Robert Downey Jr. brings to the role. Yeah, her scenes with Daniel Craig are truthfully painful. And I blame Craig for that. I really do, because he's stuck doing this nasally jughead voice because that's the only way he can hide his British accent. And it really, it comes through so often. There's times where you hear him go Brit, but... I think that was supposed to be a relationship where they could play off of each other better, but it just never comes across that way. It never plays out the way I would suspect. Yeah, Karen Allen and Harrison Ford, we didn't have a flashback to their backstory, but you could feel it. In their scenes together, we felt that tension. If they're trying to recreate that, and I think they're half-heartedly trying to recreate that, it's definitely not playing on a Raiders of the Lost Ark level. It's not really even playing on Last Crusade level. They're hoping to skate above Crystal Skull at this point. They don't <laughs> want it to become too mechanical, but... I do like any movie that can be a fun travelogue. This movie's entertainment value, a lot of it for me, is to be able to globetrot. And I've been to Cambodia. I've been to see him reap. I've been to where she's going to about a year after they filmed this, I think. And it is great fun to go back and see the temples. It is. I wish that she showed intelligence. Her father handholds her this entire way. That letter, remember the jasmine, the one place this special white jasmine grows. So he is telling her, 
Go to Cambodia. He's not putting it in so many words, lest the Illuminati read the letter. But she doesn't have to figure anything out. Everybody else around her figures stuff out, and she just goes to places, and when she gets there... West and company are already waiting. Yeah, that's disappointing. And there's some ghost children. Don't, don't forget, on, on two separate occasions, there are children that are phantoms that aren't really there. You're right. Jolie is giving her all, but there's nothing for her to play off of, and there's nothing written into her character. Laura Croft, I don't think we had much of a backstory. You needed to create it for this to work as a movie. I agree with Arnie there, though, that she needs to be a special archaeologist, not just a kick-ass motorcycle rider. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, she needs to show why she's the best, and it can't just be because she's in it for the adventure, really. But, I mean, she hears a clock, and she finds a book and sees the Illuminati symbol and knows to cut it open. The ghost children, we'll talk about them at the end, but, man, those things are just leading her right to the right places. And, yeah, the fact that she gets there second, but yet finds a way to sneak in and... Get in there first. And, man, everything is so timed. Again, if her father would have given her a heads up, she could have scouted all this. She could have had plans made. She could have known what she was doing. But she has to get in there, and there's this big thing where she gets the key, and West and Powell are going to put the key in the wrong hole. And she's like, you got to give me the key. I'm going to do it. Now, her father said... The Illuminati are going to destroy the world. They're going to take everything over. It's going to be horrible. The entire galaxy is going to implode. She has the key. There are seconds remaining. All she has to do is nothing. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> if she did nothing, yes. the entire problem is solved. The Illuminati have to wait 5,000 more years. Well, here's what they're airbrushing onto her, and I wish it was written into this, is that secretly she can't stand the fact that she won't find out herself, that she wants to put that triangle together as well. And I think we're supposed to think that she wants to control time so that she can go back and save her father from death. If it had been written more into the story, we could see why that was a crossroads for her. But obviously, if you want to stop the Illuminati, you let the timer run down on this. The planets align and the key's not in the hole. And that means no go. No, nothing opens. Yeah, exactly. But I agree. I think that more than just wanting to know, I wish that they would have had that in her. Like, she had this obsession. Remember, that was a big part of the first Raiders, is yes. Bellic and Indy, and Bellic saying, we're not so different, you and I. We both have this obsessive craze, and you're going to get killed chasing your fortune and glory. If I saw that in Lara, I'd get it. The thing that I'm projecting on here, I'm just taking a stab, is that... She wants to save her father. She has a father complex. It's not here, though. It's not said. It's not shown. It's not performed. I don't even get it in the silent moments with Angelina Jolie's performance. I have to project that that's the reason. Because she's sitting here and putting the key in the correct hole. And I'm like, I thought your goal was saving the world. You just helped the bad guys. And again, did John Voight want her to do this? Is he secretly still working for the Illuminati? <laughs> Does Angelina Jolie want to still cast her own father as a villain or as a helping hand? None of this is, is very well defined in this movie due to the multiple screenwriters and just the lack of sharpness paid to character detail. All of this is reminding me of 
when I did sit down and play some story-based video games, a lot of the times, I would try to skip through the cutscenes. I wanted to get back to the action. And this is what it sounds like this movie's doing, too. It, it wants us to skip through the cutscenes of exposition so we can get back into the action. Can I just go on the record and say, I hate people like you! Marjorie <laughs> skips the cutscenes. I play only for the cutscenes. Yes. I go through all the jumps and all the bullshit, and I sweat and I fight to see the cutscenes, and other people are like, I just like playing the game. No! No! It's a movie! <laughs> yeah, I'm with Arnie on this one. And the point is not to eat the pellets, it's to get Miss Pac-Man married. Yes! We want to see her go down the aisle! <laughs> I do. I love those moments. They are such a treat. They really are a joy when you get to take a break and your thumb is hurting and you can just watch a magical little moment in graphics i happen to love them but here's what i will compliment this does feel like an action in the game when the buddha comes alive and there's statues and we have all of this silliness that admittedly as a movie goer you might be like this doesn't feel like this should be happening as a game player you go oh yes i recognize all of this it's perfect and the director did say on the commentary, we're going for PG-13, we can't have her mowing down hordes of troops with a gun, so we decided to go with Stone. You know what, it makes sense, but in Laura Croft's world, the world of Tomb Raider games, Stone Warriors are absolutely perfect, and yeah, when the six-armed god comes to life and she has her back to it, that's just a really fun moment. I'm with you, Justin. This movie's great if you skip the cutscenes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the action pieces here are absolutely fun. I'm enjoying all the little MacGuffins and the things that have to be put here and here to work. And I'm not sure if that was mercury or water that rose up and started to animate these things. But I thought it was liquid meteor. Remember the triangle was forged from the meteor that fell? Mm -hmm. Ah, You might be right. Yeah. They don't tell us. I'm, again, projecting. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, of the time, 3D animation, it's kind of in that area of trying to perfect liquid. So, I mean, it still looked a little hokey. They did it fine 10 years earlier in T2. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I, I'm enjoying, you know, them having to precariously walk across this wooden bamboo ladder over the melted meteor pit there. But, yeah, this is great. She's running around a tomb that, once again, is getting destroyed. <laughs> All this ancient history. History is falling apart in front of us. I'm glad that you say that because I would think, my feeling is if I hadn't played the game, I would think this was distractingly stupid. That the battle is with her and Powell, not with her and stone monkeys. Oh, well, not having played the game doesn't mean I wasn't aware of it. I do know that this was the type of thing that the game was all about. Her jumping up to levels and jumping to span a chasm and stuff like that. I know those type of tropes from the game. So this to me feels like if there's one thing that Tomb Raider needs to be doing is having a, a fight with people and monsters inside of a tomb. Then she heads over to some Buddhist monks and hangs out for a while because she got shot and grazed in the arm. Get some magic tea. Yeah, I didn't drink any of that when I was in Cambodia. But uh, hey, whatever. Again, I kind of wanted to spend more time here but it is a James Bond movie, and that means you got to keep it going. There are two sides of the triangle. She only got one, and so she's going to cut a deal in Venice with the bad guys. I think all of them. She's going to independently come to Alex in the shower and say, hey, let's work together. And then she's going to just turn around and go to Powell and be like, okay, let's 
work together and go to the place where the second half of this triangle is, Siberia. Might I just say, Daniel Craig shower scene, A, not as good as this one in the James Bond movies, and B, not as good as Angelina's earlier in the film. (laughs) (laughs) And a little unnecessary, but... So was Angelina's, I mean, let's face it. I've been into Siberia too, but I got, and I got to say, it don't look like this. And when I saw in the credits that they filmed in Iceland, I was like, ah, yes, this makes more sense. This is not how it looks with the dog sleds and all of this. It's how Americans think of Siberia because we think of it being the most desolate place on earth. I thought those dogs were meat when I saw them because one of the first things in the first game is you're attacked by wolves and they look like these dogs. I think they're wolves, the manual probably says, but they bark like dogs. They go like dogs when you shoot them. But no movie's going to have your heroine shoot a whole bunch of dogs, so they survive. Yeah, I guess that's why they don't do it. You're right. It's a big part of the game, but you're right. Killing animals just will not translate into us liking Angelina Jolie. This whole part of the movie feels really muddled to me. They get to Siberia way too quickly. Her allegiance with these people involves kidnapping. So I thought they had a truce, but then they kidnap Bryce and... Yeah, none of why they're working together feels organic or natural or, most importantly, fun. The bad guy, she should be sparring with him. They should be cutting each other down. And they have one scene where they're sitting in chairs and he says, well, you know, your father was Illuminati. And I'm not even sure after that whether it's true or not. It's so muddled and the villain is so ineffectual he spent most of the time getting massages and swilling martinis we want an equal for jolie she needs to spar and this guy is doing nothing no he's terrible west could be it but they want to play west like a romantic interest the end of the movie is going to be all about saving this guy who's been going kind of against her the whole movie just because powell pays well Not only that, then they got the head of the Illuminati that's credited as the distinguished gentleman, mercifully not related to that terrible Eddie Murphy movie. (laughs) Which is all I'll ever think of. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But they treat distinguished gentleman like I think of him. He starts babbling on about how he's going to unite the present and the past, blah, blah, blah. And finally someone picks up a machine gun and is just like, yeah, enough of this Illuminati plot. It's not working. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, they get there. Man, 3000 BC, they really knew the solar system. I thought that was Galileo that did all of the (laughs) mapping and stuff. But apparently in 3000 BC, they knew exactly that the sun did not go around the Earth. The Earth went around the sun. And they had quite a bit of Bronze Age technology, too. I mean, they've got (laughs) gears going on. and (laughs) Yeah, again, I told myself I wouldn't go here. But it's absolutely ridiculous to think that there was this society ever at any point. Maybe the comet made them smart. It does not matter. I'm just telling myself, it does not matter how these ridiculous contraptions came to be. Is the fight on the big planetary model going to be fun? Again, my only criteria is, am I having a blast when things are swirling around and people are getting crushed? Hey, they did the Tomb Raider game right. There's a hell of a lot of jumping and hanging. This is the kind of level that would have taken me six hours, and I would have almost broken my F11 key going through it. <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. It, towards the end, it really was hard. Those jumps, yeah, you get so mad when you like miss that last one and have to go all the way back. And sometimes you have to do what she does here, which is jump and then just catch with your fingers the ledge the way she does on some of these planets. But she knows exactly where she's going, just intuitively. She just instantly knows the right place to go. When everybody else is looking left, she's looking right. She knows exactly how to get where she needs to get. And 
she'll get that other half of the triangle. Yes, thank God the Illuminati get gunned down real easily. But then, it's great. Powell gets the triangle, puts it together. Nothing. And so he just shoots West. Do you think she's going to shoot Lara or something? To me, I'd go the Reservoir Dogs route. I'm going to shoot you in the stomach. You're going to take three days of pain to die. I can take away your pain if you tell me what I'm doing. But they shoot Daniel Craig and he falls in the water and drowns. Not only does he drown, he gets caught in a gear underwater. It was pretty pretty brutal what happened to him. They had been teasing a kiss between the two the whole movie. And I think the only thing he gets is CPR that fails. Like she, she tries to revive him. I'm like, he needs to be up above the water for this to work. But eventually she's like, yeah, I guess this is it. It's your dying wish to kiss me, I hope. And this is also from the game. My God, I can't count the number of times I suffocated running out of air underwater in these scenes. Here she is. He runs out of air, but she's close. And so you have to get back to the surface and gasp her air. And then this just makes no sense to me. Powell says, tell me what to do. And then I'll go back in time and save him. And all I'm thinking is, can't Laura just do it herself and then go back in time and save him? What does she need this guy for? Answer me this. Is the little time storms where you can zip in and out of areas, is that part of the game at all? Or is this a conceit of the movie for this part? Mm-mm, I don't understand any of this. Like, at one point, one of the dogs just decides to jump at the planetary model and we see it skinned for a second and then it jumps through. I don't understand what a time storm is. I don't either. Kay. It's like... It's skinned because it's rotting? Uh, is it already dead? I is it? Well, I took it to mean that you jump into this portal in this area and you're going to come out the other end. But in the meantime, your being or essence is being disembodied and taken apart and then reassembled as it exits. And that's fine. But what does that have to do with time? Oh, nothing. It's just. Okay. <laughs> and why, why is it a storm? <laughs> yeah, I, I again, if, if the whole idea, this concept that's very hard for me to understand, that you're going to take two parts of a triangle that were forged from the metal of a meteor that crashed to Earth at the time of the last planetary alignment, okay, whatever, but you put it together and then how do you manipulate time? How does that even work? Does it have a rewind button? Is there... I don't know how it works. If it's just sort of a vortex where you can be broken into bits, I feel like that's a disappointment of even its silly conceit that it is. I wanted to have fun with time, and I'm not. Well, you're right. It's something they set up and don't use for any other reason to see how the triangle's put together or whatever she throws up in it at that moment. I, I can't quite remember. But I just looked at that as a device that is known in video games. You can die and start over. They didn't even really do that. Like they should have. Mm. They should have this scene play out in such a way that everything went wrong, and then this happens. She can rewind it, and now she knows the moves to make and come back and win the situation. The reset button. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let me tell you the original ending that was going to happen here. The triangle was going to come together. It's going to turn out that little girl we've been seeing was Laura, and she's going to turn back into that little girl and reunite with her father or. I can't tell if she was going to be the little girl or the little girl would also be there, but it was young Laura, and then their father was going to be there, and it was going to turn out they had this reunion, but the father was acting weird. Powell had inhabited the body of her father, and so Angelina and John Voight would have this massive fight in which she has to kill John Voight and mm. thus kill Powell, <laughs> and it would explain all these disappearing girls that have been around the entire time and all of that. 
I don't know about that nonsense, but watching Jolie beat on her father is, I think, something that we, are, we have been denied and we shouldn't have been. That's unfair. They didn't give us that, at least as a cutscene. They didn't even film that, huh? I. It's not on the disc. Okay. But she meets her father, and they get to have this discussion, and she goes, Were you really Illuminati? Why didn't you tell me? There was so much I couldn't tell. Yeah, she was seven! You know, it's like... <laughs> Would have even understood what I was talking about. And, you know, he has this pocket watch with her mother. She never even knew her mother. I think I know her mother. Is that Linda Carter? <laughs> I think they literally have put Linda Carter's picture in that. And they're trying to say in some postmodern way that Lara Croft is the descendant of Wonder Woman. Really? That was. I would have thought they'd use her real mother if they used her real father. But maybe they did. Or maybe Linda Carter got with John Voight back in the 70s. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows who her real mother is. Not credited, so uh-huh. never know. Mm. But in this clock that she throws into a time storm is the pebble that allows the thing to happen. She kicks it out of Powell's hands, so she's the one controlling time. But her father has to be, again, Doc Brown, and say, You can't mess with time! We cannot alter the future! Yeah, you can mess with time, and great screenwriters have done it to great effect. And unfortunately, you told us you had this MacGuffin thing that was going to do something cool. Now that we've reached the end, you've said, eh, I can't figure this out. It doesn't work. Yeah, no, I mean, the most we see is once it's engaged, they find themselves in some alternate dimension where they're running up a pyramid to be the first one to catch it. Yeah. So she happens to win that race. And since she won that race, now she has time to go talk to her dad? Isn't that on the dollar bill, too? Like that little triangle above the pyramid thing? Are they referencing the dollar? I know there's a whole thing about the Illuminati and our money. That's kind of how they control us and all. But Yeah, I mean, pyramids are very much part of the Illuminati thing. And I think that, yeah, that the eyeball pyramid is the symbol of the Illuminati. In this movie, it is. I know there's a big question as to why that's on our money. Is it the Illuminati and the money? Or is it, you know... The skulls, the masons, what have you. But that symbol on the money does have a lot of conspiracy around it. And really, it is freaking weird, isn't it? That a freaking pyramid is watching us spin. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would be more fun. Again, I think those things are more fun when you do a national treasure or a Da Vinci Code kind of thing, where you take things we know from our historical past and then maybe put a twist on it that what we don't understand is where you have the room to do a creative story and have fun and go gonzo with adventures. But I just think her fighting the Illuminati would have been enough. That we have this time device and a culture from 3,000 years ago. All of that just feels like not aiding the parts that are fun of this movie. And they didn't learn the lesson of Indiana Jones. Every Indiana Jones film ends in irony. The thing the bad guy coveted kills them. 100% of the time, what the bad guy coveted kills them. It's a little bit iffy in Temple of Doom, but you can still go there. So here... It's not like he gets it and can't control it or does something to implode himself. She's going to go back. And even though her father just said, don't alter time, she's immediately going to alter time and bring West back to life and turn around the knife very slowly, cutting her own hand. And Why? Why was it necessary to grab the knife by the blade? (laughs) (laughs) Because she's Angelina Jolie and she loves blood. (laughs) Yeah, that was some sadomasochism for just 
just for the sake of it. Why are they going to say that she's romantic after this entire movie where I never, I always believed her when Alex was coming on to her and she was like, I'm not into you, dude. Like that she would actually care whether he lived or died was a false note. I do like this one bit when Ian Glenn is in frozen time and he's throwing the knife and Angelina's turning it around. I think I just see in the slight imperceptible movement in Ian's face, a little bit of, oh shit. Like he can tell the knife is turning around, but he's moving so slow. But I think the actor sells me in that gaze of, oh boy, this is not going to go well. And then he gets stabbed, but not bad enough that he can't engage in some fisticuffs before going down. <laughs> yeah, I, here's what I think. They had that as the ending, and then someone said, this is not exciting enough. We want to see Laura go one-on-one, punch, kick, and really go action. And so even though this man is down, way down, he's going to get up for unknown reasons and engage in yet another climax. They have an assistant. He's got this long-haired fool that's been trolling around behind him with a bunch of folders. Couldn't they make him do something? Yeah, I thought that was Jack Noseworthy for a while. But you hit the nail on the head. They said in the commentary, we decided that we needed to see Laura Croft be a little bit more heroic and have an end fight. And so we collapse the temple and have one final fight and she gets to kill Powell and save West. And Yeah, and barely escape with her life. We get one final action set up where she's skiing <laughs> behind a bunch of sled dogs through through ice tunnels. That was so much fun. That was just like... I just thought of, like, the world's greatest water slide. Yeah, it would be something they have in the game that I would really enjoy. And again, they've done an excellent job of retaining the spirit of the game in those little moments. I don't know if they've done a great job extrapolating the game into an actual storyline, but when these things happen, yeah, they are fun. But when it's all said and done... I guess she gets some closure. She puts on the dress. The butler's been trying to make a lady of her and get her to wear a nice dress. And after meeting with her father, she's no longer so angsty. So she's going to put on the dress and go to that empty grave and talk to her dad. Uh, they didn't have an ending, did they? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what you get from Jasmine and Butterflies and back to the robot. But this just says, well, it's an ending because it's it's bookends. You know, it looks like the beginning of the movie. And who cares when they're playing YouTube remixes and basement jacks? I do want to add before we go into the recommends, this soundtrack yeah. was on constant rotation <laughs> in my car. I was waiting for it the whole thing. I couldn't believe it's taken this long for you to go, the soundtrack! Before you go into your soundtrack thing, I want to say that it was really weird for me to have a nostalgic moment for old shitty U2 songs rather than the good old, old U2 songs. It's, it's been long enough that like, oh yeah, Elevation. I used to really not like that song because it was new U2. And I remember the video is like they tried to mix footage from the movie with Bono. So like she's dropping down on a bungee cord and he's like singing to her face. There's some of that. The whole thing that it's an extra on the DVD. And there's a whole thing of like somebody's calling. We have the edge. You must bring us this thing. And so Bono's singing Elevation. I actually liked all that you can't leave behind. And it was also in heavy rotation for me in 2000. I was driving a lot. And so I was listening to CDs a lot. But Tomb Raider replaced it. I mean, it had U2 and Nine Inch Nails, who I already liked. It introduced me to Nelly Furtado and Missy Elliott with Get Your Freak On. Get Your Freak On. Introduced you? You'd not heard that before? I hadn't. Wow. 
That was overplayed by the time this movie came out, but still a great song, a classic. Fat Boy Slim is there with Illuminati, and I just re- keep remembering hearing Bootsy Collins' Secret Society do exist, Illuminati. It was just, I love Bootsy Collins. He's hysterical when he shows up. It would be a D-Light or Fat Boy Slim. Moby, this was a great, great soundtrack. Much better, much more solid than the movie. It's just sad that the two best songs were really just kind of relegated to just credits. I know. I really wanted Elevation to be in the movie, and it's in the end credits. I was very disappointed by that. But where's your head at, man? That was the soundtrack of 2000 right there. I'm still a Basement Jacks fan, although they don't do much. Yeah, Prodigy and Basement Jacks. It was, it was a good time for that type of music. To Justin Stewart. Would you put another quarter in the slot for Tomb Raider, Justin? You know, having never seen this movie, I really didn't have a whole lot of expectations, and it delivered on that. You You expected nothing, you got nothing. Exactly. I can't sit here and say it was an incompetent film. I can't say it was a bad film. It wasn't even corny that much. I mean, there was a few places here and there where characters would turn and talk directly to the camera, like, as if to say, are you keeping up with all of this exposition? Because we got to move on to the next scene. They were few and far between. And before you know it, there's more action to draw you away from the boring parts. And I don't have feelings one way or another about Angelina Jolie. I can take her, I can leave her. And after watching this movie, I just feel like she did a really good job with the action. She acted well, but she's just missing a little something, some spark of charisma that could make her awesome in this role and really get me jazzed up for more of this. So she put the two halves of the triangle together, but was missing that little bead in the middle that made it all happen. Exactly. She's missing that tiny bead. But it's hard for me to recommend or not recommend this. I mean, if this is a game that you have some good memories of and you've never seen the movie, yeah, go ahead and take it for a spin. But I'm looking forward to see where they go with it with a second chance at telling a Tomb Raider story. So I'm going to give it a mild recommend. Go ahead and watch it if you want to. Stuart. A recommend. That is a rough one. Here's what I will say. With all of this mumbo-jumbo talk about William Blake poetry and pre-Aristotle models of the universe, let me bring up the theory of relativity. I know nothing about E equals MC squared. I'm not trying to talk about Einstein. I'm talking about the relativity to the other video games in this series (laughs) that when you put it side by side, this thing succeeds beautifully. It is beautifully mechanical. It has taken a video game and brought it to the big screen in a way that nothing we've seen before has come close to doing. That is a raging success for the now playing arcade. Congratulations. They've really delivered on an adaptation of game play. What is failed here is not that it's absurd or not that they haven't done their jobs in bringing Laura to life. It's that they haven't done anything to make her feel human and to make her story feel like a movie story. The storyline is just as mechanical as everything else in this. And I'm sorry. Yeah. If you're trying to get the video game back to Raiders of the Lost Ark, They didn't do that. The foundation is here. Jolie is okay. The set pieces are fun. I love going to Cambodia and Siberia. And I think you're right. A sequel could fix all of this, but it needs a better director. It needs a better script. It just needs 
tightening are all across the board and it could go over the line. I didn't feel like I asked a lot of this movie, but I think I'm going to ask a little bit more than what it's giving. It's a mild not recommend. But again, theory of relativity in comparison to what we've had. What a great film in comparison <laughs> to Double Dragon, Street Fighter and Mario. Let me tell you where I was in 2001 walking out of the theater. I was jazzed by the music. I knew the action was good, but I walked out of that theater going, there's some plot holes that Laura Croft could just jump her motorcycle through in this film. But it was 2001. I wanted to be a game designer. I had actually interviewed at Neversoft. They flew me out to LA. It was the company that made Tony Hawk Pro Skater and the Spider-Man game for PlayStation. I was just into video games in general. And walking out of this movie, I forgave it of its many sins, and I just loved Angelina so much that I ended up decorating my house in video game stuff. I had a lot of Star Wars stuff, but I also had Diablo, and I had some metal figures from Command and Conquer, and I had Tomb Raider statues. There were action figure dioramas where you'd have... Laura Croft versus a tiger. And they were all from the game. They weren't from the movie. But I had like eight of these dioramas that were put out that stood like 18 inches tall and were all Laura Croft. And I didn't like the games that much, but I liked video games and I liked this movie enough to go collect stuff from it. Now I'm more lax with video game playing. I'm just not in that mode. I pretty quickly sold off all my Laura Croft stuff. I don't remember that phase. Was I invited over at the time? Marjorie and I ended up having a long conversation about my spending of money and that I could be the guy who collects a whole bunch of crap or I could be the guy who collects one thing really well and focus on Star Wars. So mm. Okay, well, good on Marjorie. I don't feel like this movie deserves to have statues <laughs> of any kind, Oscars or home tokens. <laughs> No, and again, they were video game based. They weren't angular, but they were based on the Tomb Raider games. But looking at it now, and I take away my hype for games in general, and I really do think Simon West gave some great action scenes here. Not great in comparison to what we've done, but really, really good. And yet the story, just like Justin said, if you jump past the cutscenes, you have a great game here on the big screen. I think we're all in the same place of right there on the line of, yeah. But I think I'll go with Justin. Just ever so slightly, a weak recommend. The music, the action. I had smiles on my face during the action scenes, and then I was rolling my eyes during any of the dialogue. And it's almost worth it in Brown Arrow territory just to see a pre-Bond Daniel Craig try to be American. And miss. He really wasn't anybody back then. And I remember we get in this movie a pre-Bond Daniel Craig. And I remember the press at the time. Again, I was into this movie before it came out. And they're all talking about Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig. And I was like, who is that? And he went on to be Bond. When they did the next one, they're all like, Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler. I'm like, who's that? He went on to 300. Yeah, I know. I, I was wondering if these movies are somehow responsible for launching these guys into the next stratosphere but i was kind of the same with you like when they start saying daniel craig's gonna be the next james bond people were talking about him like they knew him and never having seen tomb raider it meant nothing to me i was like okay great daniel craig's the next bond yeah i don't think this is the thing that people like he's not featured enough in this for this to be his movie here but yeah much like the whole production it is 
It is on the verge of greatness, if only it can find its way. I'll go ahead and say I'm I'm mildly optimistic about a Tomb Raider 2. We're going to have to wait a little bit. We have a death wish, or a death willis, that is, to <laughs> deal with next week. What you talking about, death willis? <laughs> it's finally out, unless they decide to pull it again. Bruce Willis is going to be Charles Bronson this weekend in movie theaters, and we will be covering Death Wish 2018 next Tuesday. And then the week after that, we'll get back to the last Jolie Tomb Raider movie. This Tomb Raider film, I mentioned its budget was 115. It did a little better than that. It made 130 in the States, so it wasn't a smash. Everyone's on the line about this. They're like, we love Laura Croft. We don't really hate this film, but I don't know. If you take the international, it made 275 million. That was enough to immediately greenlight a sequel to be out two years later, because nothing's better than when you rush a sequel. Okay. I don't know anything about it, but we'll rush there in two weeks. So, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. Till next time, game over. Larat, I burst to tell you everything. But in the fierceness of my own battles, I strove to tell you only that which would inspire you and keep you safe. I love you so much. Suddenly, I feel so alone. You are never alone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Tempest Fugit. Yes, time flies. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Everything lost is meant to be found. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, Double Dragon, Super Mario Brothers, The Wizard, Street Fighter, and more. Well, I don't know about you, but that's more time than I'm prepared to commit to this enterprise. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. Do you think anyone here is paid enough to take that chance? Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Duh! Macho US Greenback! Duh! You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Take me to Pandora's box. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I'll take two. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Help me, and you will get what I know you want. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss these movies and games with other listeners. You shouldn't have come here, but I'm glad that you did. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. 
get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. I think I've never seen anything quite so beautiful that I know so little about. This is a pleasurable torment. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You know us. Always making friends, having a laugh. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're seeing I. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by David, Steve, and Arnie. There's no rest for the wicked. Now Playing credits read by Brock. Enough of this twaddle. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Can't be too careful these days. The world has gone bloody mad. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. At some point we have to face up to who we are, who we're meant to be. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You messed with the wrong family. That was back when everybody was dialing up at 22.6 and... 2640 That's when everyone was dialing up at 26k. I was a graphic snob and I didn't feel that lived up. He is going to treat Lara Croft like the Budweiser frogs, which he also made. So that's I think why you get a guy like Simon West. He did the Budweiser frogs? Yep. Did we talk about that before with somebody? Might have been him. Did we see another one of his movies? Was he solely responsible, or was there somebody else? Because I thought we told that anecdote before about maybe somebody in uh, one of the directors of, of uh, Resident Evil. I thought for sure he was Budweiser Frogs. I don't think it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, well, let me look real quick. I can... This is why you Google. <laughs> <laughs> Simon West. Frogs. He did the sequel of the frogs. He did not originate the frogs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll re- re-say one line, which he did do some of those commercials. But she was only like 40 when she did Maleficent. Maleficent? Maleficent. When she did Maleficent. Malfacent. <laughs> Malfeasance. Malfacent. Yeah, Malfeasance. That's what I want her to make. Mm. Um... What has failed here is not that it's absurd and not that they, (laughs) not that I'm having some kind of alien bust out of my chest. (laughs) It introduced me to Nelly Furtado and Missy Elliott with Get Your Freak On. Get Your Freak On. Introduced you? You'd not heard that before? (laughs) I hadn't. Wow. Wow. That was overplayed by the time this movie came out, but still a great song, a classic. (laughs) 